Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Scott Soma from Atlas Restaurant Group coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Daddy, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, big changes at J-Bar-M Barbecue. Pitmaster Willow Villarreal and his fiance, Chef Jasmine Barella, have both left the restaurant along with a couple of its consultants, its general manager, and its assistant general manager after a dispute with owner John Toomey about the restaurant's direction. Uh, this information kind of came out in a little bit in a kind of a slow form, but it essentially from the beginning, Mr. Toomey has wanted to operate JBRM as both a barbecue restaurant and a steakhouse. And there has been some question about the timing of doing both of those things, right? JBRM has been opened in November. It's been operating as a barbecue restaurant. They've done a prime rib special on Thursdays and an occasional steak special, but this is uh, this is uh, a more permanent uh, divide, a, a more robust dinner service. And there was a question about whether it was ready for that. Matt, let me let me just throw it to you. I mean, I've been to JBRM quite a bit for for lots of reasons. I, I thought the food was good. I thought it's it's very convenient. Uh, for where I live, our our friend and podcast co-host Michael Fulmer was working there, so there are lots of reasons for me to go. Uh, but what about you? What was, what was your kind of take of J Bar M prior to the departure of Willow and Jasmine? I mean, I you know, it's a great space, it, it's a great location. I felt like things were moving in the right right direction. You know, each of my visits successively were better and better. So this is another reminder that, you know, even with the best of circumstances, it's tough. And it's especially tough when there's a disconnect in direction. So uh, I I can't say I'm surprised. uh, But what's what's the old saying? Here's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, it's it's not a fool and his money are soon parted. That that's another saying. I I I don't know if that's a relevant saying. I just it just suddenly occurred to me that that that's also a saying. Let's dive into this just a little bit more. I mean, I I know that this idea of operating as a steakhouse had been in the plan since the beginning, and you could tell that because they had this whole wine cellar of. California cabs and Pinot Noirs and, and all these other vintages that, that don't make sense for barbecue, but would pair really nicely with steak. And so it, it's not, it's not a surprise, but I, I also think, you know, in the, in the present environment, right. And in, in a tight labor market with rising costs and limited staff and, and all of these other challenges that, that maybe you, you slow down a little bit, especially when the barbecue is going so well, right? They've just gotten a great write-up in 
Texas Monthly from Daniel Vaughn. They're nominated for a couple of Tastemaker Awards, featured on Top Chef for their barbecue. But again, John Toomey and, and uh, Chris Paul, the owner of Cafe Rabelais, who's been doing some consulting for him and, and is the restaurant's new general manager, really want to move forward with this, this other direction. I mean, what is, what is your take? I mean, you know, we, you know, I, I'm the one who always says there, there's no such thing as, you know, too many steakhouses, too many burger joints, too many taquerias, that, that it's really up to the market to decide, you know, let, let, let people choose whether or not to patronize a restaurant based on how well it executes its concept. But I, I also acknowledge that downtown has a ton of really polished high-end steakhouses and essentially no barbecue joints that are anywhere close to JBRM's quality. So I, I don't know, what is, what is your perspective on this? And is it reasonable to want to do both at JBAR? Well, I, I, you know, as a non-drinker, I'll leave it for others to decide whether you know, cabs and Pinot Noirs go with smoked meats or not. But I mean, sure. Yes. There, there, there are crazy ideas that work all the time. I'm not suggesting that this is crazy, a crazy idea, but I'm just, I'm suggesting that crazy ideas work and, uh, or can work. So I could certainly see a path, uh, where, uh, you know, a little bit more of a, uh, kind of a, a cowboy steakhouse feel something that maybe you see more kind of in the panhandle or out in West Texas, but it's not a high-end steakhouse in in my opinion. Yeah. They could capture a little of that, maybe taste of Texas vibe, something like that. Yes. Yes. But as is the cost of, of most things in the restaurant business, they're going up and that uh, grabbing that high-end market um, without the, um, the high end feel, I think it'd be, be a challenge, but, you know, they, they've got some other advantages too, you know, as far as things that they could do with, with, uh, steaks and smoked meats. And I, it, it, it's a shame that, uh, this experiment, so to speak, has ended so quickly, uh, just when I think it was starting to get some momentum as you mentioned, you know, some, some write-ups and top chef, but unfortunately it is what it is. Well, and, and I guess that sort of brings me to my last point on this, which is that, you know, I guess from the restaurant's perspective, Willow and Jasmine are gone. The GM is new, uh, but there are, there are people who remain, you know, Chewy Ortiz who, who worked with Willow in the pit room is still there. The other members of the pit team are still there executing the barbecue. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know whether I have permanently broken up with, with JBRM. Uh, I think I'm probably going to give it a little time to sort of settle down, maybe find its footing under new leadership and then check in, you know, is it, is it the same restaurant that I was drawn to or has it been damaged in some way? And then, and then kind of reassess my, personal relationship with it right i mean i'm not sure that that door is closed but at the same time from my perspective competition for the dining dollar in houston has never been tougher so it's likely that 
I will be patronizing other places. And that's not a criticism of it, just the nature of, of the landscape. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair, right. That, that you know, I was drawn to it for, you know, both the quality of its food and service and, and without the people who were directly responsible for creating that experience, that it's, it's going to be a bit before I, I make my way back there. Yeah, the, the location remains attractive and, and the space remains attractive, um, you know, and certainly wish them all the best. But I just think it's, it's, it's a little bit of a hill to climb. Daddy, this is the podcast of cliches. Maybe Michael <laughs> can keep, <laughs> maybe Michael can keep count for us. Too many to count. 20, 30. <laughs> all right. Let us move on to topic number two. Good news this time for... Craft Pita and its owner, Rafi Nasser. He has found a second location in the former Kenny and Ziggy space at the corner of Buffalo Speedway and West Park. I've had Rafi on the, on the show a couple of years ago. You know, Craft Pita is a place that I've enjoyed dining at, kind of bringing this, you know, fresh, fast, casual perspective to Lebanese food. He uses some locally sourced ingredients and some, you know, olive oil that he gets from, from Lebanon. He gets his, uh, his pita bread from Phoenicia, you know, all, you know, all of these little, these little things that sort of make the food taste a little better. Matt, let me, let me just throw it to you. I mean, what is your kind of take on, on craft pita and, and how do you see it as a fit for, for West U? Well, I'm just going to say it. Rafi is, absolutely one of the best guys as a person as a restaurateur a joy to be around so am i a fan of craft pita absolutely do i think it's a good fit for yes with you west i mean west you absolutely i mean i agree with you uh rafi and i become uh friendly we've we've even dined together occasionally and, and so I was very excited for him. He's, I know he's been, he's looked all over for uh, a second location. This one makes a lot of sense. They're already doing some catering to Greenway Plaza in the medical center. So this will allow them to expand that. That shopping center is in the process of undergoing some big changes as uh, Los Tios and Adair Kitchen are getting ready to move in later this year. So you know, for all of those reasons, I think this is this is a good move for him. It's a restaurant I've enjoyed. I, I was back there just uh, this past weekend for you know his collaboration with the Smoked Lamb Bowl, uh, where he, he works with Truth Barbecue, which is you know obviously a very outstanding partnership. So, you know, this is this is a guy who you know he started a food truck in college. He worked for the Pappas organization for a long time, and now he's out on his own and really making a mark. and And it's exciting to to see it grow. Agreed. Yes, I, very exciting. Uh, looking forward to it. Congrats to him and his whole team. And you mentioned this delicious collab between Craft Pita and Truth Barbecue. And I might add, it's still going on for this weekend. So if you missed it last weekend you have one more opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, all right. And then 
Uh, just briefly, topic number three, I want to talk about the Southern Smoke Festival, which is returning for the first time since 2019. You know, it can't be, you know, in, in previous years, it has sort of taken over the, the underbelly complex at 1100 Westheimer, but of course, Chris Shepard is no longer operating there. So it had to move. And so it's getting bigger and better, a three-day affair that starts at the Houston Farmer's Market. Uh, and then there's going to be a night at the Houstonian Hotel with a, an epic sounding raw bar. And then sort of the, the barbecue component, the, the smoke, the live fire component will take place in Edo, centered around Eighth Wonder Brewery and uh, Agricole Hospitalities, uh, Indianola, you know, Miss Carousel, Vinny's Complex. And the, they're going to close off streets. It's going to be a big, a big to do. Matt, I, I know you've been to the Southern Smoke Festival in in years past. I mean, you know, you've looked at this roster of chefs, these top chef alumni, and you know, a whole bunch of uh, prominent people, both uh, locally, regionally, and nationally. I mean, what's your uh, what's your take? Are you are you ready for for the return of Southern Smoke? Well. I, I don't think I'm breaking any ground here by saying that team has been busy. I mean, it is as impressive of a lineup of any food event that I can remember. So congrats to uh, Chris and Catherine and Lindsay and that, that whole group. But wow. Right. I mean, Houston has never really had like a proper – you know, food and wine festival in the same way that, you know, Aspen, Miami, even Austin has had, I mean, this, this is really, this has really raised the bar for what the kind of food events that have been produced in Houston and, and, you know, certainly the quality of the talent is, is just really exceptional. Well, and, and I think there's a message in there as well. And, and that uh, is that, this is, you know, very, very Houston. It's, you know, food and wine is nothing against it, but it can stay in Aspen and Austin and Miami. And, you know, we have Southern Smoke and the, the mission and what, uh, what they're doing, I think is, is really special and unique. And uh, I am very glad that it's in Houston, Texas. No, absolutely. And, and I just, you know, I know this is going to be, you know, obviously it's, it's an important cause, the Southern Smoke Foundation that provides, you know, cash assistance to people in the hospitality industry and in crisis situations. And, and, you know, it's a major fundraising component. And so, you know, these tickets will, will not be inexpensive. They haven't announced prices or an on sale date yet, but, you know, for those who can afford them, uh, I think this is going to be a really memorable weekend. Right, right, and and you know as you as you mentioned, and, and it, it, it's fun to talk about the lineup and the chefs and and the uh, top chef stars and and all that, and and that is great and it's impressive. But at the end of the day, the cause is that's that's the reason. The reason I don't, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say reason for the season, but I'm not going to say it too many cliches already for this podcast. <laughs> right. So we will, we will wait for all those, those on sale 
you know, details, prices, packages, all that stuff. But, but this is coming, this is coming for three days in October and, and I couldn't be more excited. And, and yes, again, credit to, to the whole Southern Smoke team, Chris Shepard, his wife, Lindsay Brown, the executive director, Catherine Lott and, and everybody else for just, I mean, it's a, it's a very impressive lineup and, and, you know, I just, I just can't wait to, to be a part of it. True story, daddy. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Green Street. Covering four city blocks in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street offers access to dining, entertainment, and more. Green Street is an ideal location for dinner and drinks before or after attending a game downtown at one of its four restaurants, Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or M&S Seafood. Its proximity to Discovery Green also means Green Street is an ideal stop as part of a larger crawl through downtown's many attractions. Over the years, I've seen any number of concerts at House of Blues, but Green Street has other entertainment options as well. Pete's Dueling Piano Bar offers an energetic atmosphere for grabbing a drink, and friends can gather for a night of friendly competition at 810 Billiards and Bowling. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of restaurant, bar, and entertainment destinations. Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about Tatamo. This is Chef Emmanuel Chavez's corn-obsessed Mexican concept. You know, Linda and I talked about brunch component on the show a a few weeks ago, but you and I had the opportunity to experience the eight-course tasting menu that he's serving on Saturday nights. You know, Matt, I always like your perspective on this because... You, you travel to Mexico, you eat at, at some of the best restaurants in Mexico City every time that you do. You know, this is a very, what Emmanuel is doing is, is pretty ambitious. You know, he's, he's making the, all of his corn-based, you know, tortillas, quesadillas, sopas, tayudas from heirloom corn. He, he make, you know, he uses the nixtamalization to, to process it. So, so let me just ask you, I mean, compared to the quality of what you experience in Mexico, how does Tetemo hold up? Well, I, I'm not sure that a comparison is, is appropriate. I, I'm not sure that that's what Emmanuel is going for. I think he's, uh, he is trying to be true to the ingredients and, and that is front and center. And that really uh, shows and, and shines uh, in the dishes. I, I appreciate that. And as a fan of, of Mexican food, uh, it's something that really speaks to me. But I think that's a better question for, for him than me. All right. Well, as a diner who eats a lot of Mexican food, both particularly here in Houston, what do you, how do you assess Tatamo's position? Or, or would you recommend it to people who you know, maybe are familiar with going to Hugo Ortega's restaurants or the last time you were on, we talked about flora, you know, people who, people who understand that, that there's a, there's a difference between Mexican cuisine and Tex-Mex and are looking for, you know, another exciting experience. 
Absolutely. Well, I, I would say, you know, for me uh, personally, the joy, and I do mean joy, let me rephrase, the absolute joy of a well-made, nixtamalized, native heirloom corn tortilla is probably my favorite thing to eat. It's certainly top two. Uh, it, it, and it, it, it's fundamental to, to Mexican food. And Emmanuel does just, in my opinion, an outstanding job of, of showcasing uh, corn in uh, several applications throughout the, you know, it's a progression of the tasting menu. So I'm a big fan. Uh, I think, uh, and, and brunch is, is an extension of that and just gives a little more uh, variety again to showcasing the corn. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I like the, the brunch because it's, you know, the, the tasting menu is eight courses. It's $95. It's, it's very limited in its seating. You know, the brunch is, you know, first come first serve, uh, available to go, you know, the dishes are, are all kind of between 10 and $15. So you can, you can kind of limit your spending if that's a priority and you still get the same, you know, the same quality, the same attention to detail. And, and frankly, you get the, at brunch, you get the masa pancakes, which are absolutely delicious, but, you know, picking, I mean, you know, just thinking about that meal at the, the tasting menu, I mean, you know, the, the quesadilla with the caviar, the sort of individual size taluda with the avocado and the queso fresco. I mean, that really expertly grilled ribeye. And like you said, those, those just unbelievable, the, the texture and the flavor of the tortillas that he's making is, is really first rate. And so, you know, for all of those reasons, I just, I've, I've been so impressed by by my meals at at Tatemo and and just really excited to see how the the concept evolves, you know, in the in the months to come. Couldn't agree more. All right, and then I know you you asked me about uh, a couple of favorite bites that you uh, that you sort of found around town. Maybe maybe not like a, a formal meal, but let me just ask you, Matt. Like, what have you what have you been eating around town that's really impressed you recently? Because I've I've got a couple. Right. Well, you know, and, and we've had some the opportunity to uh, share a few meals uh, over um, over the past several weeks. And uh, um, just it was it just reinforcing just how great the uh, the food is in Houston right now, just across the board. Um, I'm not sure it's ever been in a better place. And um, I uh, was visiting uh, a good friend uh, and chef, Bobby Matos, over at La Lucha and, and had this octopus dish that they just put on the menu and just was transported to uh, a place of nirvana. It was just so good. And, and I'm sitting here eating this and I was like, you know, we really, the opportunity to talk about, not in great detail, as I'm doing right now, but just some quick hits of things that we've really enjoyed uh, while we've been out there. And, and that was certainly, certainly one of them. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'll say, you know, I, I saw the, your pictures from, 
from Wolverton. I thought, man, it's been a long time since I've eaten there and, and I want to get back there uh, sooner than later. Uh, you know, I had Angelo Emiliani on the show a few weeks ago. We talked about Cafe Louis. He invited me to stop by. They were testing uh, vinoiserie. I got a, a couple of croissants and a morning bun. Really validated, you know, all of the excitement that I have for that place. I, I can't wait for people to try that. And then just, you know, I was back at, at Cultivare uh, over the weekend and tried a couple of dishes on the menu that were new to me, you know, a, a strawberry salad with uh, arugula and goat cheese and sunflower seeds that I thought was just really fresh and spring and, and tart and sweet and all good things. And, and they're doing these, uh, these grilled snapper collars with a little bit of like a, a pickled vegetable salad that that's just so juicy and, and flavorful and really just couldn't, couldn't have been a better meal at, at Cultivare. And it had been a little bit since my last meal there. And so, you know, just a, just a reminder that, you know, I, I, you know, it's not breaking news. Cultivare is still delicious, but, uh, but you know, a nice reminder that it's, it's good to revisit some places we get, we get really focused on new, but, but, those old friends are still are still doing good work. Indeed, we uh, uh, we were 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 both at uh, uh, a certain seafood establishment in the post uh, Gulf Stramen, and uh, not dining together. But uh, Christopher Haltuft was in from Norway and and did a tasting menu, uh, which was all excellent. I think uh, there was maybe six or seven dishes, but that. That final uh, dish with the, the grilled snapper and that uh, just delicate cornmeal battered artichoke that went with it uh, was a very memorable bite. Well, yeah, the, I whole, mean, every, the whole menu was actually The whole menu. Bite. I mean, the, the crab and caviar, blini, the yellowtail oyster over steamed cabbage, the seared scallop with the jalapeno and the fig. I mean, just, you know, everything about that meal. And, and the only reason I sort of hesitate to bring it up is because I think we'll see the influence of some of those dishes on the Gulf Stramen menu. I know one of their, one of their chefs was just in Norway kind of soaking up, um, you know, time and ideas working alongside Christopher. So that's all, that's all to the good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about, Call Stroman on the show a couple of times and, and really just absolutely one of the best uh, seafood experiences in Houston right now. Agreed. And I, yeah, again, I think it just is points more to the fact that, I mean, it's, it's just a great time to be alive in, in Houston and, and eating in Houston. All right. Well, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you, daddy. And I will be right back with Scott Soma. I am joined this week by Scott Solma of the Atlas Restaurant Group. They just opened Marmo, a new steakhouse in the Montrose Collective. Scott, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing wonderful, Eric. Thank you for having me on. Excited to be here. Thanks for doing this. You know, I, I kind of want to start at the beginning because when I met you 
several years ago, you were already a partner at Tony's. And so I, I sort of knew you in that role, but, you know, I don't think we've ever really talked about kind of the roots of your career. So, so maybe just start there. Like, how did you, you know, how did you get involved in the restaurant business? Uh, my career and, and journey through this industry has been a unique one, to say the least. Um, I arrived at Tony's in 2005 um, with another fellow server driving me there to go to an interview. Uh, never eaten at Tony's, never been. Only knew um, what had been read and, and discussed all over the city for, for decades. And I was excited to try my hand within such an establishment. And so I interviewed to be a front waiter and came aboard and was hired the next day and started the following week and moved my way pretty quickly through through the ranks of, of the fine dining world within Tony's. And this was just after they had moved into the Greenway Plaza location. So the restaurant was extremely busy and doing very, very well. And I soaked up every opportunity and minute I could with Tony Valone came early, stayed late, and he identified something in me um, early on in my career that I had yet identified in myself. So we began speaking, and he moved me into a managerial role, then a general manager and maitre d' role at the same time within about two years. And shortly thereafter, we were opening our first restaurant, Chabello. You know, I grew up kind of going to various Valone restaurants, you know, the original Grotto, La Grilla. Chabello was very exciting because it was kind of, it was kind of Grotto evolved, right? The, the casual pasta forward, lively atmosphere. Maybe just talk a little bit about kind of bringing that restaurant to life because, because I have, I, I know I have fond memories of dining there and I'm, and I'm sure uh, many of the listeners do too. Absolutely. Chabello was a great restaurant and had a really, really strong run. And it was my first restaurant to open. I was in my early 20s, uh, first time to be involved in a in a restaurant opening and in, in an ownership role. And it was a, a peel your eyes back type of experience. We opened it very quickly, uh, took over a existing concept and quickly transformed it into exactly what you talked about, a, a sort of a modern grotto, neighborhood Italian restaurant, homemade pasta. Pizza sotile, very thin Roman crust pizzas, and classics that you would see um, anywhere throughout Italy done the right way. And it was the type of place you could just walk in with friends and family, have a table, enjoy conversation, enjoy great wine, and enjoy the atmosphere um, that that Chabella was so so known for. Right, and then and then I remember, I guess it was 2013 or so. You opened Valones, uh, again, kind of reviving a, a storied restaurant name, you know, a, a, a modern steakhouse in the, the Memorial City area. I mean, maybe, maybe just sort of reflect on, on that experience too, because that was, that was a really exciting time. I mean, I remember, I remember dining there a few times and, and just being very impressed by, by every aspect of that restaurant. It was a really, really dynamic time. Um, we partnered with our, our then chef at the time, uh, Grant Gordon, it was just an unbelievably talented and unique individual. And the three of us, Tony, myself, and Grant, wanted to do something um, in the growing uh, west side of town, out there in the energy corridor, headed that way. Uh, both Grant and I 
were native Houstonians and grew up sort of around that part of town and had had good roots. And we thought we could do something unique and special and believe we did. So we opened a 13,000 square foot, two story uh, steakhouse, modern steakhouse with, with strong Italian roots in it as only of alone can be. And Tony guided the way. It was a beautiful kitchen, beautiful build out. It was at the height of oil, you know, 135 a barrel. So there was a lot of excitement to it. Um, but then also uh, there was some some changes that came there afterwards that uh, were unforeseen. And so the restaurant had a good run in the beginning. Um, I still believe that that restaurant was somewhere inside the loop or um, it would still be running strong today. But I believe it just missed the mark for, for the neighborhood it was in. Right. Or maybe if it were, you know, 5,000 or 6,000 square feet, if it were sort of, uh, you know, Doris Metropolitan or Georgia James sized instead of, you know, steak 48 sized, you know, it might've, it might've, it might've been able to hold on a little longer. Right. It had a good five year, five year run. Um, Those that were in supported it really well. Uh, We had some great, um, tenant landlord relationships. It was one of the last deals Roy did with Metro national, who was very fond of Tony. And so it was, it was a great learning experience and uh, really has allowed me to be where I am today um, because of that. Well, good. Actually that, that was, that was, you, you set yourself up nicely for that. I mean, what, what are kind of the values that or the lessons that you bring from Tony from working with, with Tony for so many years to this new position at, at Atlas restaurant group? Just, it's it's amazing the similarities um, because Atlas, while being a company that has over a thousand employees and more than two dozen locations, uh, it's still owner operated, um, owned by two brothers, Alex and Eric Smith, uh, both in their thirties and are extremely driven, intelligent individuals. And so, the the corporate structure was what was so exciting, having some of the support um, that we've been able to showcase in the opening of Marmo, while at the same time having that attention to detail, quality of product, service. And what Atlas does is really brings a, a emphasis to entertainment as well. And so just seeing the relentless drive, the commitment to not ever cutting a corner from the Italian marble to the dry aged beef, every detail is that important. And if and when I did leave uh, Tony's I wasn't necessarily sure I was going to go to another restaurant, but it, being that I did, it had to be one that did not sacrifice um, anything um, when it comes to those aspects of, of operating. And Atlas and Alex and Eric um, don't only cut, but really truly emphasize every detail and going above and beyond it. Yeah, because I, I do remember you kind of had that, there was kind of a pause for you where you were thinking about your career and whether you wanted to stay in the restaurant business. So maybe, maybe describe your role with, with Atlas restaurant group and, and, you know, because you're not, you know, I mean, I, I know the teams at, at Lockbar and, and Uzo Bay and, and they have their own sort of management structures and, and then, but you fit in a little bit differently. Correct. And it's a, it's a great question. I came aboard in March, right before the pandemic struck two years ago and was brought in to oversee Houston as um, Alex had a really 
had and has big plans for Houston. It really likes the city and really saw an opportunity there, but wanted a local operator that had strong roots into the community as far as a strong operating record knowledge of, of the city. And so I was actually contacted, as you mentioned, I was taking a little bit of time, feeling out what direction I wanted to go. And um, uh, an executive recruiter reached out to me about another person that they were talking to. And we started talking about Atlas and Alex and Eric. And he said, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, you need to have a conversation with Alex Smith. I think it would be very beneficial if not this month or this year, but the two of you need to get to know each other. It's a great. I'm always interested in speaking with, you know, very dynamic, successful people and uh, set up a call for the next day. We we're on the phone for 45 minutes. Uh, the day after that, myself, Alex and, on the, and Eric were on the phone for 45 minutes. And then following weekend, I was in Baltimore touring their properties. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, we sort of view restaurants from out of town a little bit skeptically, as you know. You know, having worked for a local operator for so many years. And, and likewise, as, an, as a uh, native Houstonian, I agree with you strongly. But, but I've, been, I've been really impressed with my meals at, at Uzo Bay and Lock Bar, uh, particularly Lock Bar, because I just don't, I just don't really, you know, I, I like going to the East Coast. I have family on the East Coast. And, and just this, that kind of, you know, a great piece of fried fish, steamed lobster, shellfish. There, there's not really anything quite like it in the market. And, and and I sort of appreciate the the niche that it fills. I don't know, sort of sort of. How do you perceive it? And 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 how do you, what do you sort of attribute to? Because because my my sense of things just from sort of driving past it and talking to people is that that both restaurants have been pretty well received. Very very, and that's what really intrigued me was excuse me the ability to come aboard and oversee the two restaurants that were currently in existence. And then the future growth, pardon me, that we were looking at as well. And they're both such, um, you know, they, niche is really a great term. Uzo Bay has the ability to transport you to the Mediterranean, open up the windows, the baskets are blowing in the air, uh, fish, fish is flown in fresh um, multiple times a week from all around the world, literally hot shot from either IAH or Hobby Airport as soon as it lands, on, packed on ice roasted whole, um, just the finest quality that you can bring in. It's really, really a, a dining experience that transports you. And their lunch, Sunday brunch, live music, you know, we do live music now, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday brunch. Friday and Saturday, we have the DJ that's really pumping energy into the room while not being obtrusive. It's a really full, encompassing dining experience. And then you have lock bar on the other side. We actually share a kitchen, right? So the, there's a single kitchen, a single dish pit, a single prep area. The amount of volume that comes out of that space is just mind-numbingly impressive what those guys do. We have an unbelievable team back there. And lock bar is a, a, a complete pivot and such a unique concept in that it's exactly as you described it. A trip back to an East Coast taverna, right? Ten different types of oysters. We'll go through a thousand oysters on a Friday night. Um, 10 different types of oysters daily, the best fried chicken, lobster roll, crab cake in town, an unbelievable spirits list, and then live music seven nights a week until two a.m. So 1 a.m. open till 2 a.m. You really can't find that type of commitment to what I referenced earlier and what you kind of asked about what brought me to 
Atlas from, from Tony was, was that it's that it's such a unique operation, right? You have some great music in the background on a Tuesday night. You're eating a beautiful plate of oysters that are just pristine. You got a really unique selection of bourbon to choose through. And there's just nowhere else you can do something like that right now at the level that it's being done. And that's what excited me and the idea of Marmo and knowing that even though we had no idea what we were about to get into in March of 2020, but uh, the commitment to it and sticking to it and really seeing it come to fruition over the last few weeks has just been an unbelievable journey. Well, yeah, let's talk about Marmo. I mean, you know, Atlas has any number of different concepts. Maybe just kind of start with the most obvious question, which is why why this Italian steakhouse as opposed to, you know, any of the other restaurants that, that you could have decided to, to adapt and, and bring to Houston. So when we were talking in March of 2020, this was actively a part of, of our discussion is the growth in Houston and an Italian concept. At that time, there was a real opportunity within the market. Um, we had not yet um, met Steve or the Montrose Collective, but we were looking at a couple different opportunities, but we felt that there was really an opportunity to be successful with this type of concept. Homemade pastas, a true commitment to a very, very detailed aging program within our steaks and chops. And then classics, like the, the best veal, milanese, parmigiana, chicken marsala that you can find. And so this concept is styled after Tayata in Baltimore, which has been going for a little over five years now and has two operating partners that run it, David Goodman and Julian Marucci, that are a part of um, Marmo as well. And so being able to have during our training process over, you know, leading up until we opened on Wednesday over the previous three weeks, a corporate chef, two operating partners that have done this successfully um, for, the, for almost six years. Um, myself, operations directors, beverage directors, it's, it's a real commitment to seeing the restaurant be successful and the reviews and the feedback, um, open table, Yelp, Google, um, last I checked, everything was averaging at a, like a 4.9 rating, which is great coming out of an opening. And the collective is such a great space. Uh, the neighbors, the neighborhood, we've been, you know, I'd be on that construction site six, seven days a week until nine o'clock at night. And people would peek their head in. How are y'all doing? Have you made it? Where are you going? How far are you? When is the date? How far back did you move at this time? And uh, they're just really excited to finally get in and have that neighborhood experience. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's, it's such a dynamic neighborhood for dining. I mean, it, you know, it always has been going back to, you know, even our, even, you know, when I was, when I was growing up and when you were growing up, you know, you think about, you know, across the street, you have, you know, FM Kitchen and Velvet Taco, but I, I still, you know, in the back of my mind, I still think of that as kind of Ruggles, right? Exactly. And then, exactly. Uh, you know, you've got... Uh, and if I can jump in on that, Eric, it's no, so please. important to, um, it's a great point, right? So we're, and you mentioned it, an outside Houston restaurant company, but I really tried to bring that Houston influence to what we're doing and that we're not just going to be a Baltimore-based restaurant company. We're a Houston-based restaurant company as well. Alex and Eric have bought a home here. They spend a significant amount of time in Houston and there's a commitment to that. And we wanted to make sure 
that after the success of Uzo Bay and Lockbar, that the next property we opened, not that we're ever not thoughtful, but it's a, it's a really important opening for, for Atlas and in Houston and across the company. And being able to find a site like the Montrose Collective, which is truly, truly unique. Um, Steve Redome, Redome Capital, they, they do these just very, very special developments. And Marmo and Montrose Collective and that location just seemed to line up. And when we all started talking, um, you know, we really felt it was going to be and has been out of the gate a home run because we didn't want to just uh, force ourselves into a square peg into a round hole, right? I've done that before and that doesn't always work. And this just seems the, the stars seem to line up. The neighborhood seems really excited. We feel like the concept fits as, you know, Marmo in the Montrose at the Montrose Collective. Well, and, and certainly just for a little bit of context for, you know, Steve Redome has a, a whole bunch of other projects, but uh, most prominently, I would say Heights Mercantile, you know, where Postino and Local Foods and Melange Crepery are. And then more recently, MKT, which is a, a development we've talked about on the show quite a bit with 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 Homestead, with uh, Degama, with any, you know, Mala Sichuan's opening there soon. So you're, you're right. I think anything that he's been involved with, you know, certainly is going to is going to make its mark on on whatever area it's in. But but so maybe maybe just sort of expand on that just a little bit in the sense of, you know, you had a, you had a kind of template with Tagliata, but, but you wanted to, it to feel like a Houston restaurant. So what did you sort of take from Tagliata and, and what did you sort of adapt to be more specific to Houston? So it's, a, it's, it's really inspired by a, a modern Tuscan farmhouse. So, you know, warm woods, hints of green, lots of, just beautiful, beautiful natural light coming through. But we then still, we pulled the, um, the sultriness of the piano bar, you know, starting at really right at three o'clock when happy hour opens. That bar is two and three deep already four or five days in. Um, all of the marble accents and hints where the name uh, is derived from. Uh, Marmo means marble or marbled in Italian. And it's really a play off of our state program and all of the, the marble that you to see throughout the restaurant, excuse me, see throughout the restaurant, but it's, it has little pieces of tags throughout while at the same time making sure it was very, very important. Um, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot, that it, it fit the neighborhood, right? So it's super accessible, 25 tables on the patio, lots of umbrellas, shade covers for the Houston heat. So you can just walk in and have a half, bowl of pasta, a beautiful glass of Italian wine. You know, we pour Peroni on happy hour. We, we have spritz specials on happy hour. And you can just come in and have something and you can get out for under $30. While at the same time, you know, it's your 10-year anniversary. You just closed that big deal. You love to drink vintage Barolo. We can go as, as big and bad as you want to go at the same time with, you know, A5 beef, um, dry aging coolers that have seven different types of selections in them. So it really has the opportunity to appeal to the everyday diner that can eat and wants to eat at Marmo seven days a week. And then someone who wants to come once a month or once a year and blow it out at the same time. Right. And, and I guess we should say, right, you're open for lunch and dinner. So, you know, more approachable at lunch, maybe a little more upscale at dinner. Right. And it's, 
you know, there's not a dress code. It's not simply reservation based. We take walk-ins. Um, even as we're controlling the book um, through opening, we've pro- we're operating at about 50 or 60 percent capacity. We had 250 people in on Saturday night, um, but we're still turning 250 people away and saying, no, 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 let's let's ease into it. Let's ease into it. We, we really want to do it the right way um, because we have a great staff. They're really, really energetic and they're excited to be there. We want to make sure that they're successful with it. And so, yes, lunch, dinner, seven days a week. We open at 11 a.m. seven days a week. Uh, Monday through Thursday, the kitchen is open until 10, but the lounge is open until midnight, and we have music going as well, seven days a week. And then Friday and Saturday, kitchen's open until midnight, and the lounge is open until one, and there's music going as well. Well, and you're and you're part of a very dynamic scene at the Montrose Collective. I mean, you got Uchi next door. You know, I haven't personally been to Idle Hands yet, but I've heard some nice things about it. And then you more restaurants coming, obviously. So you know, there'll come a time when people can sort of graze their way through the property, you know, come to you for a bowl of pasta and a glass of wine, you know, maybe have a, maybe pop an Uchi for a, a bite or two and then finish their night at, at idle hands or, or whatever. But uh, it's gotta be, you, you know, you're, you're kind of on the, you're at the beginning of something. It's gotta be uh, pretty exciting. It's really fun. And something we talk about with our Baltimore properties, they're so close to each other on the Harbor and Harbor East in Baltimore, just, beautiful setup you're able to walk and enjoy you have bourbon at lock bar then go have dinner at tag two blocks away and then finish at bygone on the 28th floor of the four seasons you know we're trying to do that in houston in a city that's much more spread out right so at uzo bay and lock bar super easy uh have dinner at uzo go have bourbon and some after dinner fun hearing some music at lock bar but there's also that type of culture being built at the collective and in the surrounding areas. You know, Uchi does a great job. Gio's a great operator. Met the Idle Hands guys. They're nice guys. I can't tell you how many people have, even during our friends and family um, opening, would <laughs> eat at eat at Martimo and then go have a scoop of ice cream outside at Van Leeuwen. Um, there's just a lot of good energy to to the space and the walkability and just the comfortability of it is is really intriguing and impressive all right so talk me through kind of the menu like where do you where do you start or or what you know like your what's your ideal dinner for four at at marmo the menu is really cool in its construct and that it can be like i want an appetizer pasta course and a main course to myself and everybody orders to their own because of the ability to split sizes of pasta and all of the a la carte offerings that we do have to offer. But then it's also, in my opinion, I probably prefer to enjoy it this way, super, super shareable, right? We have oysters on the half shell that we do with a Calabrian chili mignonette. Um, the hamachi is one of my favorite dishes, uh, a crudy style uh, Italian raw approach uh, with passion fruit ponzu. Um, you know, these are really great dishes just to put in the middle of the table before you even begin getting to the Tuscan fried chicken or the polpette, the, the, the meatballs that are classically done. And then of course, burrata, burrata that is done with strawberries and prosciutto de parma and uh, balsamico as well. So there's, there's a great opportunity even before the pastas and the mains to share these, these lighter items, these classic Italian items and these more modern approaches to classic Italian items. And you'll see that, Throughout the menu is you'll see super, super familiar dishes, and then you'll see hints 
or modernization or technique added to them um, to enhance without ever overcomplicating. So for me, from there, it's going to jump right into the pasta section, which is, um, if not the heartbeat, the arteries that make uh, everything go um, is the pasta section. Everything is made in-house. We have an Arcobalano pasta extruder that we're using, um, only the top-line equipment, hand-rolled pastas, and they're all done in half and full portions. So again, as I mentioned for lunch, you can come in and have a $9 bowl of spaghetti alla chitata and get out for under 15 bucks with a glass of iced tea, or you can do full orders and have it as your main course. Um, the early favorite out of the gates is the squid ink campanelli. Uh, campanelli is a pasta that is stained with, with squid ink um, that has a unique shape to it, holds really well. The uni cream sauce, fresh blue crab over the top, has a little bit of uh, Calabrian chili heat to it as well. Just makes you want to eat another bite each time. Uh, the lobster ravioli, uh, that we do with mascarpone and nuggets of beautiful fresh lobster meat over the top. Bolognese, um, a traditional veal ragu, again, done with tagliatelle, all pasta made in-house. You could spend an entire day just doing pasta and not have to eat anything else at the restaurant. But then you'd miss out on our steak program, which is really the focal point of the main course. And so we do a lot of dry aging, all of it in-house. Uh, we started 45 days or using uh, a company I've known for a very, very long time and a company our corporate chef has, has had a very long relationship with as well and meet by lens that are, in our opinion, just the, the standard bearer as far as, as dry aging when it comes to steaks. And we have, you know, eight different options to choose from plus what's off the menu. Um, we butcher dry, we butcher and break down out of our dry ager. Uh, we have a bone saw, we're hand cutting those steaks. Um, it's just a really, really unique program. And then lastly, if you wanna stay away from the pizza, uh, sorry, the pasta and the steak, uh, we do have the classic, um, which are the Milanese, the Marsala, the Parmigiana, um, for those times when you're just craving classic Italian food. and I can't tell you how many chicken marsalas I've eaten and will continue to do so. It's my favorite item on the menu. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I do have this idea of like, you know, somebody gets a steak and somebody gets the veal parm and then we just, you know, divide it up. Right. Like trade yeah, and then, you, you know, order it for the table and, and split it, split everything. That's my thing. Like I, I really think, it's it's such a communal place. It's such a fun place. It has the energy and excitement. I'm not saying it's not a date night. Of course, it certainly is. But if you're there with some friends and everybody's enjoying together, like you put a couple things around the table from the left side of the menu. What I mentioned earlier, the hamachi, the oysters, the polpette. Uh, we have a great charcuterie program as well. Then you're moving on to pastas. You have a little pasta course in between or even putting those next to your steak. And then with your main course, you're doing just that. You're doing a cowboy ribeye uh, that's been dry aged 45 days. You have a chicken marsala in the middle of the table. And then, you know, you can even go to one of our beautiful fish selections that we have. You know, we have salmon, snapper, Texas quail. Um, we're doing duck that we cook sous vide and then finish in the pan. Um, that's a really, really beautiful dish. Uh, so there's truly the, the restaurant cliche, something for everyone. <laughs> All right. So, you know, obviously you, you've kind of been in this before, you know, were there, are there 
when when you were working with with um, the brothers on on sort of thinking through this and, and bringing this concept to Houston, were there lessons from Valones that you had in mind, or or maybe for people who knew you at Valones, you know, would you say this is similar or is it kind of its own thing? Well, with the the commitment to Italian uh, quality and never bastardizing the process of Italian cooking, it's, it's right online. And that starts at the top. Um, and Chef Julian uh, has an unbelievable commitment to doing things the right way. And so that's, that's eerily similar. Um, but then also learning what you talked about. You know, it's Marmo is 5,500 square feet. It's intimate, it's cozy. Uh, has a great glow to it in the evening. It has a bright, open, airy feel during the daytime. Um, so it's just the right size. It's not too big, not too small. Um, when we get cranking, we'll have, you know, 58 tables going inside and outside with the 25-table patio. While at the same time, they can be very, very small indoors as well. And so the size, the seating capacity, it just, it just fit really well to to the overall development and concept as well. All right. Now I know, you know, you're, you're focused on the opening and, and you've just opened, but I, but I also know restaurant groups are, are always thinking ahead. Are there, are there other Atlas concepts that you would like to see in Houston? I mean, are there, you know, I'm not, I'm not, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not committing absolutely. you to anything, but, but, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you, you've signed leases or, or anything like that, but but maybe what's what's number one or number two on your list of, man, if, if we do whatever's next, I, I really wish it were this. It's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to have the multitude of concepts that we do behind us, right? We're not um, a single one-off where we're stamping 40 of the same locations in different locations, right? So it really depends on the concept and timing and when it came comes to market like Marmo came at just the right time. There's been some new um, Italian um, that's, that's by some great operators that hit the city at the same time, but Houston was ready for some new Italian offerings in my opinion. And I think it's been really, really well received. Um, so we have a, we have a sushi concept that we love um, if the time and space was right. Uh, we have some more casual um, East Coast, like crab crab house type dishes, where you get your elbows dirty and you're cracking crabs and and having a good time. So we have we have a multitude to choose from, and we're actively looking at at purchasing land or or looking at new developments to make sure the fit is right. Yeah, I mean, I I saw there's a pizzeria, and, and for as much good pizza as we have in town, I'm I'm always willing to entertain a a new option. Absolutely. The disco that you're referencing, Italian disco is a really cool spot. It's small, wooden banquettes, um, homemade pizzas fired right out of the oven, pizza oven and uh, pasta. It's a small menu. Be a great space. That's you know, just three, four, 3,000, 4,000 square feet, not too big. And um, that's one that's, that's in the, in the, in the chest as well, for sure. All right. Well, Scott, I have to say that does bring me to the end of my questions. Is there, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? No, not, I mean, Eric, I feel like I could talk food restaurants and the Houston scene with you is uh, longer than, than either of our time would allow. So I've, I've truly enjoyed this and uh, thank you for taking the time and having me on. 
Well, I appreciate you doing this. Before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Scott Salma, what is your favorite ingredient? Fennel. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Pantera. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh, I'll go Hakeem Olajuwon. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, Whataburger. Easy. And finally, what is the newly opened restaurant that you are dying to try but haven't made it to yet? Laurel. Good answer. Scott, give us the, the website and the social media for, for Marmo. MarmoItalian.com, Marmo on Instagram. Uh, please come check us out. Again, it's a neighborhood restaurant. Myself and Scott Clinton and our general manager are, are there literally all the time. So there's, there's always at least one Scott in the building. And uh, come by, say hello. We look forward to welcoming you uh, in, into our home. Thanks again. This is great. Thank you, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Spotify. I welcome your comments, your reviews. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.